One of the remarkable things that we're, we're not going to read, but it comes right before that, is this description about Moses and God, uh, that they speak to one another as a friend speaks to a friend. There's this friendship between God and Moses. And one of the things that makes that statement remarkable is that it doesn't come at a time when God and Moses are all chummy. When God and Moses has some stuff to work out, there's some tension there. And, uh, well, you know, they got the expectations of one another and those things have to be changed. And it is a reminder, I think, just as a side note, that, you know, good friendships often require working through some conflict, right? I think if you, do, if you have a relationship where there's never been a conflict, at best, it's a good acquaintance. But you have to be able to work through some of that stuff. And so God and, God and uh, Moses are going to work through some stuff. All right. And so uh, we're starting at verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us on from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near uh, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. You know, one of the things that parents first try to teach their kids to say is please and thank you. We say this because, you know, we do this because we're trying to teach them manners. But it, it's, and it is teaching them manners, but it's also kind of a more philosophical uh, exercise. It's an intellectual exercise because it's an attempt to teach your kids some perspective. You know, you say, like, look, you are a bundle of wants and desires. So much of the hardwiring in your little brain is driven to satisfy those wants and desires. In fact, if you're not careful, that's all you'll see. 
your wants and your desires. You'll be blind to the fact that you operate in a world full of people who aren't hardwired for your wants and desires. They're hardwired for their own. If you're going to get along, you should demonstrate some awareness of that. How do you demonstrate that awareness? Well, if somebody has something you want and or desire, say please. If they give it to you, say thank you. It's not easy for kids to get that into their heads. Especially when they have something you really want and really desire. You know that when you put together the, those sentences, it's a that please is supposed to lead the way, but so often the want and desire words bust out of the gate first and please has to run to catch up. I want some candy, please. And just when you get that down, we make it even more complicated. Please cannot just be some battering ram attached to the front end of your wants and desires. You have to put it in the form of a question. You have to say it as though their wants and desires matter. Could I please have some candy? Now, if you can do that, you're doing all right. But then you also you start to realize, oh, this is even more complicated. Because uh, there are situations in which none of that stuff really matters. Uh, where all you have to do is just simply state your want or desire. So you have to, again, have to have a lesson in perspective. More, more specifically, you kind of have to learn rank, right? Uh, you have to know where you stand relative to someone else to know whether you're supposed to add the please or put your needs and wants in the form of a question. Uh, you know, you learn that you talk differently to some people as to others. I, I, gotta, I remember a lesson I got in this back when I was a kid. For some reason, not sure why, I decided every, everybody was, uh, all, all my friends were babe. You know, boys, girls, they were babes. So it was always, thanks, babe. Or, want to play some Nerf football, babe? I, like, I was like the little Sammy Davis Jr. of my <laughs> Millbrook Junior High. Right, everybody was babe, babe. And then one day, without thinking, in art class, I asked my art teacher, can I please have the glitter, babe? Did not go over so big. Had to get a little lesson in perspective. Anyway. So that can be kind of tricky, sort of figuring out how do we ask, get those wants and desires met, uh, and how much it depends on our relationship to those people. For some people, it actually is quite simple. Somebody, for example, like Pharaoh. Pharaoh, you outrank everybody. You are the most powerful man in the world at the time. So even if you say, please, or if you put it in the form of a question, you know, you can do that because, well, people like it, but they better understand it as a command, right? That's how it works. And if you're Pharaoh, nobody puts demands on you. They, they better say please. They better put it in the form of a question. That's, that's, that's Pharaoh's world. And so you can understand why that first encounter between Pharaoh and Moses is such a disaster. When you read that chapter, there are no pleases in there. There are no questions Moses is asking of Pharaoh. It's an order. Let my people go. Who talks to Pharaoh like that? Like they outrank the most powerful man on earth? Well, Yahweh. 
the God of the Hebrew people. But given that he has those people enslaved, he's not impressed. Who is Yahweh that I should heed him? I don't know Yahweh. At that point, Pharaoh figures Israel deserves a little lesson in perspective. Because not only is he not going to obey the command, he's going to defy it. He doesn't set the people free. He makes their captivity worse. The wants and desires are not only unfulfilled, they're expanded. Now, turns out it's actually Pharaoh that needs a lesson in perspective. And the, the plagues are designed to provide it. By this, Pharaoh shall know, I am Yahweh. By this, Pharaoh shall know the ranking. Now, the passage does not use the language of ranking, but it does talk about it in terms of glory. Who has the greater glory? So on the banks of the Red Sea, Yahweh says, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and Egypt shall know, I am the Lord. Now, not only was that, did that all happen in order to give Egypt, Pharaoh, some perspective, it's also supposed to give Israel some perspective. After all, Yahweh is their covenant partner. All this glory that's on display is on, is on their behalf. But their problem is, when their wants and needs arise, their problem isn't just that they don't add a please or they don't put it in the form of a question. Their problem is they don't ask at all. First, you know, when they go in the wilderness, oh, we're going to die of hunger. They don't communicate that need to God. They just assume they're going to die. And then later, oh, we're going to die of thirst. And then when Moses goes up Mount Sinai to meet with God, it, he got, he's up there for 40 days. And Israel's wants and needs for Moses, for some sign that they're being led by God, uh, it starts to become, get to a crisis point. But again, instead of commuting, communicating those needs to God, they communicate them to Aaron, and they ask Aaron to make a, a substitute. And Aaron does. Well, don't worry, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. These are your gods, these knickknacks. You know, you can imagine the frust anger God feels. I mean, don't you know me at all? Have I not made known who I am? God is so frustrated at this, that the fact that they've broken the covenant, he's ready to scrap it. Scrap plan A. Moses, you're my plan B. I'll begin again with you. But of course, Moses does know who God is. And Moses refuses to settle for anything less than the God he had come to know. It is his greatest need. It is his greatest desire. And he expresses that need and desire. But he does not express it with a please, and he does not put it in the form of a question. 
Here's what he says when God says, going to pour out his wrath on Israel. He says, turn from your fierce wrath. Change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give you to, to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. Now, it sounds a bit like Moses issuing a command. Turn from your fierce wrath. But this is not Moses, obviously, it's not Moses trying to pull rank on God. He hasn't lost sense, uh, his sense of perspective. On the contrary, he sees quite clearly he has come to know this God as covenant partner. Anything less is just not an option. Unfortunately, God does not take offense. In fact, God relents. It's a change of mind. God offers, all right, offer, offers a compromise. And the compromise is this. All right, I'm not going to consume Israel in my wrath for having broken the covenant. I will keep my end of the deal. They shall receive the land promised to them. But I need to step away. Uh, I'm not going to lead them there. I'll send an angel to lead them. And again, Moses will knew. Moses will not settle for this. He keeps pushing. It's, it's, if he sort of realizes, wait a second, this isn't really about the land, however great it may be, however much it may flow with milk and honey. That is not enough. He, said, he seems to realize this is about you. About God, not just God's blessings, but God and nothing less. And so again, there's no pretty please or could, could you be so kind as to, again, it's this imperative voice. Show me your face. Let me see your glory. I have no want but this want. I have no desire but this desire. Nothing else matters. And to this, God says, Whoa, 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 buddy. Uh, no can do. Right? Uh, and what's interesting is there appears to be sort of a connection between the face of God and the sort of glory of God. And, and until, this, until this point, God's glory has been known sort of indirectly, right? Through God's deeds. They, 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 you know, when Pharaoh says he doesn't know Yahweh, God doesn't show up and say, all right, well, here I am. No, God shows Pharaoh who he, who he is through his deeds. By this, Pharaoh will know. By this action. And then, and then God's presence with Israel is a veiled presence. It's a, it's a cloud uh, during the day, a pillar of fire at night. So there's, there, this, there is some barrier between God and Israel. And the reason for this is because God's glory is sort of measured in megatons. And to stand at ground zero, is, you know, there are no survivors there. It's just too overwhelming. I mean, it might be helpful to think about this in terms of a common criticism of our faith. Uh, people will say, look, the universe is incredibly vast. 
the size of our own galaxy and the number of stars within it is staggering. And to think that there are billions of galaxies beyond ours? Come on, our planet is a speck within a speck. The idea that the God who stands over and above all that takes a keen interest in our particular lives, mere specks on a speck within this sea of specks, it seems preposterous. Relative to the universe as a whole, even something like the conflict in, in Gaza is just a collision between dust mites. And then to think about tensions within our marriage or a little lump that shows up on a scan or an overdraft notice. We think that registers with the, the conductor of a vast symphony of galaxies? Well, to see God's face, to, to, have, uh, a, a, to confront God's glory full force, undiluted, well, that would be a lesson in perspective unlike any other. It's, it's like it would flip that, those questions on their head. You know, how, how can God's attention be on the universe and on our, our, us, the little specks? No. If you had that encounter, it would be obvious that this God is capable of all that. Because it's just but that is too much for us to even be able to comprehend, right? It would literally blow our mind. So God says, uh, no, Moses. But here's what I can do. Well, uh, stand on the rock, and then when the megatonnage of glory comes through, it creates a cleft in the rock, and God will put Moses in that cleft of the rock, put his hand cover Moses' face, and then uh, show, you know, show you my backside. Uh, I, and I won't show you my glory, but you will know my goodness, and that will be enough as God proclaims God's name. Uh, there's a, a term that's used to, to refer to those moments of the Old Testament where God takes a, a human form. We read that passage in Genesis where the three visitors come to Abraham. Uh, that those are called uh, a theophany. A theophany. Well, one scholar calls this moment, it's not a theophany, but God showing Moses' backside is, is a theophany. Huh? Good stuff, right? All right, this, hey, this is why you read commentaries, is for the, for the one-liners. Anyway, so Theo Fanny, because God's showing the Fanny. Anyway, so it's very, it's sort of strange. It's, it's this, again, it's this sort of veiled uh, expression of God's glory. It's not what Moses demanded, but what we find is that it is enough. Moses has the assurance he needs. You know, it's, it's not the certainty and thing that, thought, that Moses thought he needed. He thought he needed, needed to know with an absolute term. No, it's not that, but it's enough. Because he can't actually get, uh, handle the full glory. So anyway, so God, Moses, and Israel, they move on toward promised land. You know, this, 
sort of reminds me of Palm Sunday. Those crowds outside of Jerusalem are like Moses here. They are determined to have God fulfill God's promises. And they don't communicate those wants and desires with pleases. They don't put it in the form of a question. They cry, Hosanna, which means save us. But it soon becomes clear that they are not going to get the glory that they wanted and desired. And so at that point, what they want and desire changes. And again, they don't ask. They start issuing orders. They lose perspective. They think that they have, they have a power that outranks the one who is the Son of God. And there, they don't just break covenant. They break the covenant maker. You know, I think we can relate to Moses here. Wanting God to make it clear. Remove all doubt. To give us a dose of glory that puts all our questions to rest. Just make it obvious so I don't have to be afraid. So I don't have to feel alone. But we don't get it. We do get this. When we nail the covenant maker to the cross, it's, it's a horrific scene. It's all the worst parts of humanity just on full display. But if we look closely, we look closely, we see so much more, something veiled, hidden in that cloud. Yeah, we have broken covenant. But that name, the divine name, is being proclaimed in that scene. The Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. It's all God's goodness on display in that terrible scene. To take that in is to learn a profound lesson. It is to gain some perspective. It may not put all your doubts to rest or clarify all your uncertainties, but it is enough. Enough to keep us moving forward toward promised land. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.